What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, gig economy news and interviews, sponsored by Para and ParaWorks. I'm your host, SJ. It's time to get it on. Welcome back, everybody, to another week of Pararodeo Presents, a weekly discussion on all things gig economy related, uh, host, hosted by myself, Steve Rodeo, and David Pickerell, the CEO from Para. Um, each week, we do different guests, and this week, uh, we try and have the three-man panel and David and I, so a total of five, but um, for this week, uh, we have chosen to just go with two because this week, I'm extremely happy to have Sergio and Chris. For those of you not familiar with these gentlemen, you will be here shortly. Um, and they have a great weekly show called Show Me the Money Club on YouTube. And I don't know if you're on other platforms, too. I think you're on Facebook, maybe. The Show Me yeah, the Money Club. On, yeah, it's on all major podcasting platforms. So I mean, if, when you're live, though. The live, yeah, the live is on Facebook and Twitter. Okay. And YouTube. Um, yep which you can find under the rideshare guy handle. Uh, so Sergio and Chris, welcome. Um, and can you tell us, can you guys tell us a little bit about your roles at uh, TRG and background with the gig economy before we get started? Sure, Chris, you go ahead first. Okay, my, I'm Chris. You probably see me on the rideshare guy as well as my other channel. Uh, but yeah, I've uh, been doing videos for the rideshare guy for a couple of years now. I'm also the YouTube manager there. So I manage everything uh, when it comes to anything YouTube. Uh, and my background when it comes to the gig economy, uh, Uber and Lyft, I've been doing Uber in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina is where I started originally in 2015, then moved back to Buffalo, New York, where I've been doing Uber and Lyft for several years now, um, part-time, full-time, a little bit of time, time off, uh, doing Spark as well, uh, signed up for that. So it's been pretty fun on that avenue. Um, and signed up here and there for some other apps just to have in the background. Uh, never really have taken them too far, but pretty much uh, just enjoyed uh, Uber and Lyft rideshare and then now doing Spark as well. Nice. Hey, I'm Sergio. I'm with the rideshare guy. I started actually with the rideshare guy in 2018. I've uh, been a driver on both platforms since 2017 or late 2016. Um, still a driver, as well as a consumer, uh, a passenger as well. Um, I also do, obviously, some deliveries. For the last four or five months, I started doing a lot more deliveries, actually, um, due to the fact that Rideshare is kind of having its winter. <laughs> um, I um, switched to, well, I didn't switch. I still write for the blog. But I'll probably do an article a week for the Rideshare guy. Um, but now... Me and Chris were doing this uh, live stream uh, over the last six months called Show Me The Money Club, and I'm the co-host. And we're doing terrifically well, and we're glad to be here. 
Yeah, you guys are you guys are crushing it over there. And by the way, you guys, um, all of their information can be found in the show notes here. So please give them a check out, subscribe. You're probably familiar with the rideshare guy, but look into what these guys do as well. Um, the rideshare guy has tons of stuff out there, but these guys are doing something on that channel. They do lots of things on that channel, but they're doing something different on that channel. That's really cool. Um, I like watching the show. We were just laughing before we started that these guys seem to uh, have an ish, have a be time challenged on sticking to <laughs> some that's kind of hour fault. hour and a half stream. That's, my, that's mostly my fault. <laughs> yeah, it originally started supposed to be an hour, and the last couple were two and a half hours. So a little I little saw that the last one was went over two hours. I was like, whoa, these guys yeah, like see, are... you've, you've never done that yeah. before. I know, but I mean, these guys yeah, are doing yeah, no, like marathon have. ones now. No, you, like, you have. Oh, I, yeah, I, we're oh, actually, I know. We're actually yeah. thinking of doing a 24-hour one. Oh, oh you can do that. I'm going to sit back <laughs> and look. If you a 24-hour stream, I'm good. <laughs> look, we all know Dark Road Run. Chris and I spent a lot of the pandemic watching his stuff, and we talk. I know Chris talks cameras and stuff with him a lot, and you guys know him, but um, he's done a couple, and I've seen the shape he's in after him, so... I'm good without doing those. <laughs> oh, they're rough. They are. <laughs> and, and you know, cheers. Kudos to Dark Road Run. Um, always putting out good stuff. I don't all the time know what it's about, you guys, but check that out, too. Um, but we have, we have some topics here. Since we have these guys on, I really wanted to kind of dive into what they've been doing on Show Me the Money Club and talk about some of the things going on with Rideshare. Um, the past few weeks, we've been talking about a lot of delivery and holiday shopping and things like that. But I want to jump into some rideshare. Um, and I picked some topics that I think these guys hit, one of which I know these guys hit on almost weekly. Um, that is the third one we will get to. But first, I want to ask you two how you see... I, I don't even know if I want to talk about the pandemic because it was just... We all know now. But the last year, so this 2022 calendar year, how do you, like, not financially, not that they're still not posting profits, but Uber could have this last quarter, none of that. But how do you think for the drivers, if you were making some kind of chart, this last calendar year would look? Yeah, I mean, let me take that for a couple of minutes. So uh, I've been doing rideshare, like I said, for uh, for seven years now. Um, the trend has not been the driver's friend for the last seven years. I mean, personally speaking, I've been through five rate cuts and this last thing that they brought upon us, maybe the sixth one, um, you know, we're still trying to figure it out <clears throat> if it is a rate cut or not. Uh, but you know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. So to me, um, you know, the drivers are in a, you know, squeeze. I mean, I call it the winter for rideshare. Macroeconomic conditions are hurting the drivers quite a bit, and it's helping the companies quite a bit. So whatever is hurting the drivers is helping Uber and Lyft, just for the fact that people's W-2 incomes are not enough. There are a lot of drivers out there driving, and it's the same size pie, and my sliver of the pie is getting thinner and thinner, but also you're getting the fare cuts as well. So... You know, I mean, one of the reasons we're really having success on Show Me the Money Club is because we just don't talk about constant being constantly being negative, right? You can be negative, right. negative, negative sales, but then you have to understand that millions and millions, tens of millions of people are involved in this new world of called the gig economy, and rideshare is major part of it, obviously. And we just need to inform and educate 
people and then have them make make up their own mind if they want to do ride share they want to do deliveries they want to do food delivery whatever it is but to me it hasn't be i don't think it's going to be you know without being too pessimistic i don't think it's going to be a good winter for drivers ride share drivers um you know the demand seems like it's also slacking a little bit but also there is a lot of drivers this is the most oversaturated market i've seen i'm in la california um, I've only driven in LA, California. I know the glory days. I, I call it, I wrote an article called the good, the bad, the ugly. We're in the ugly period at the moment. And there's way too many drivers out there. And I don't blame the drivers. They got to do what they got to do to put food on the table. So, um, you know, it's going to be difficult, but you know, we've, we've been through these storms before and I think this one will pass as well. But in the meantime, you know, um, we, we just need to stick together. I think that's what we need to do as drivers and try to figure out how to make the most amount of money in the shortest period of time. Yeah. I want to add that not only do is the, is, are you guys not negative? I, I think you guys are just, I mean, Sergio, you've jumped on live streams with me a bunch. Like you're not, you're not negative. You're just, and you're not being a realist and too harsh. It's just, these are things that are better to talk about before they jump out and happen. So even if like you guys say, hey, this looks like it might happen and people get prepared for something bad and then it's not as bad. Hey, yeah. that's a that's a lot better a scenario to be in than just have the rug yanked out from under you. Yeah. I mean, being preemptive. Right. And because uh, if I was not a driver, I wouldn't understand these things. Right. And, you know, I read a lot of articles about the ride share or the gig world. Honestly, 90 percent, 95 percent of what I read is nonsense because it's all cut and paste and, you know, it's heard. It's written by journalists who don't drive. If you don't right. drive, you can't feel it. You can't feel a rate cut. You have to actually drive to do, do trips and go, oh, this math does not add up. This looks like a rate cut, right? Yeah. But to me, you know, I think that's what that's why we're having a success because both of us are drivers and you know, viewers are mostly rideshare drivers and they're not stupid. I mean, Uber and Lyft thinks the rideshare drivers are stupid. We're not what we are. We have, we have a lot of educated people in our community. And to me is, is just call it the way I see it. And Chris as well. And, you know, uh, we go from there. You don't have to like it. There's many other channels, but I think people are gravitating towards people who they can relate to, which is another couple oh, yeah. of drivers, another couple of drivers who are actually doing this actively and feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. And not holding back and putting on a fake facade or a fake yeah. face. You guys are just living through it and and you're letting them live through it with you. That's the kind of stuff I like, just the organic. Let's talk. Um, Chris, what would you add to what Sergio would, is there anything you would add to what Sergio said or change or in your perspective? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in my perspective. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been driving since 2015 uh, October and that was starting in Charlotte and this this was during the 80 20 split so for those who know the 80 20 split this was mm -hmm. you know right at the beginning all the way through until they went to the 75 25 and then to the to the time and distance rates uh, with the upfront uh, pay for passengers uh, when they decoupled everything but going back to that time frame when I was driving I'm like this is bonkers money that's how much I was making. Right, right, right. And then, you know, slowly progress, you have to start implementing different strategies and you have to know where and when and all these different different factors are going to result in how much you're actually going to earn or how much you potentially could earn on top of 
these systems are getting smarter. So the algorithms are getting smarter. They're able to pinpoint so much more accurately in so much quicker of a time. And again, as Sergio has mentioned, there's so much macroeconomics going on with inflation, with layoffs, with all of these things that are happening, more drivers are coming on the road. But the whole perception too is people are thinking, oh, the gig economy is the best to get into for this time and weather the storm. But sometimes that's not necessarily true. And when you have such an influx of new people coming on board who may not know what's going on, who may not understand and are just signing up and going on, yeah, you're going to have people who are going to come on. They're going to make some money. They're going to be happy, but you're going to have other people coming on. They're going to be like, what's going on here? I'm not making any money. So that's going to help flush out some of these people that aren't being smart about it and keep some people on. So I think we're going to see, yes, a, a bad winter when it comes to it. Um, going on for a little bit of time as more layoffs come as more inflation could possibly come down the road you might see that more and more um, but i think that it's just a time where we really have to look at strategies we really have to to pay attention to what we're doing in order to continue making money and yeah we're probably going to to feel it a little bit more so you know you you want to plan for the the bad times and enjoy the good times we enjoyed the good times now it's time that we take care of the bad time and hopefully everybody who's going to to make it on the other end will actually uh, enjoy and you know have another boost of of goodness you could say uh, when it comes to going out there making money earning money uh, but yeah strategy is is key right now when it comes down to it mm -hmm. yeah if i may add to something chris said i mean um exactly right when i first started uh, i was making so much money i go this is embarrassing i mean why am i making so much money it's like i got it's, it's like mm -hmm. 40 hour a week would pay me $3,000 a week and I was having fun doing it. But now you have to do 80 hours a week to do the same thing because of the rate cuts. But most importantly, what it is, is that, you know, a lot of people think rideshare is an easy thing to do, right? You put the gas in the car, you get on these platforms, you get it, you know, through a watered down background check and boom, you're ready to turn the app on and you go, right? If you guys notice, both companies do not put any educational videos out there, meaning if you do this, maybe it's this, you know, if you drive at these hours, whatever. Lately, they've been doing it, showing, you know, flashing signs and colors and whatever on the maps. But initially, none of that was there. You had to just do it. So, and the learning curve, I mean, to do ride share and to do it well, it's like a six-month process. And people think, yeah, I'm just going to pick somebody up point A, take them to point B and drop them off and do it again. Well, eh, those days are gone. Now you really, really, really have to pay attention to your P's and you know, cues and you have to truly, you have to know your city, number one, all these new people that are coming around overcrowding the marketplace, they have no clue. Half of them can't even read Google Maps, but, uh, you know, to their, to Uber's and Lyft's benefit though, right? Because now they have all the drivers that they need. Now, mm -hmm. um, you know, all, all this. Do, they, do they right now though? That's another question. They're what? I was asking, do they right now, though? I feel like I've been seeing a couple things about a little bit of a, a slowing of onboarding. Slowing and onboarding? Well, that's because... I mean, it's not that not market markets are still very oversaturated. Don't get me wrong. However, extremely oversaturated. But, I mean, Steve, I, I take screenshots when I drive, and we're going to show a bunch of them tomorrow. Um, obviously, like I said, I'm a passenger as well. Um, you know, I open my passenger app and see who's around me, right? And then how many drivers are around me. And I live in the suburbs of LA. Um, every street corner, which never did, had eight Ubers and eight Lyft cars waiting for, for requests. And to me, that's exactly what it was maybe late 2018. 
is as bad, if not worse, than 2018. For me, so and like, it, again, I feel like I went from like 10, 12 minute wait to like three or four minute waits yep, again. And I exactly sort of that. Hole, and I've been sort of shocked. I'm like, there's people near me up on this hill. Yep. Within two minutes, like what? Yep. Yeah, both yep. Uber and Lyft's pickup ETAs are down to uh, four or five minutes now. They're, they have so much here's energy. one thing too to note: onboarding new drivers is not the same thing of having drivers on on the platform already. It's two separate things. Right, right, right. So you right, have right. I'm talking you about already I'm talking on. about bringing new people on. And I know Sergio kind of hit on it with, you know, there's, I mean, we saw, what was it, last week, 1,300 or whatever people were laid off from DoorDash, I think. Yeah. Um, employees, not drivers, you you know, obviously, because we're independent contractors, but um, we're laid off there. So, I mean, like, no job. here. I've, I've been saying this lately. No job is safe right now. <laughs> like, the people who are telling me I'm going back to W2, I'm all, you know, if those people want to, I'm all for it. However, I don't think that it's the safety net it once was. It's not like going back to W2 is going to save you either. You just got to keep your wits about you and and make good decisions. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, W2 is not what it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Everything has changed, right? And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people gravitate to the gig economy because of the flexibility and the freedom aspect of it. But then that freedom and flexibility is becoming quite scarce now just for the fact that, you know, in the old days, if I turn my app on, because there was not an oversupply of drivers, I would get a request immediately wherever I was, whenever I was. And, you know, the other thing that we do on the Show Me The Money Club is, you know, we're going to do like a lot of educational stuff going forward, you know, how to figure out your costs, what it takes to run Mm -hmm. your car, because everybody's car is different. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot, of, a lot, a lot of drivers since I started doing this. You know, I, I send them like an email saying, what is your UR? And then they come back to me, what is UR? I go, it's your utilization rate. It's how long do you have out of the online hour a passenger in the back seat? You know, if you're, if you're, last time I checked, there was still 60 minutes in an hour. If you have 30 minutes of it with a passenger in the car, then you have UR of utilization rate of 50%. And the funny thing is, for Uber, the utilization rate is completely different than what the drivers is going to be, right? For Uber, the most important thing is have enough density in a city at every street corner so that passengers like David or myself can get picked up in three to four minutes as opposed to 10 to 12, right? So they want as many drivers out there as possible. Well, that's good for Uber and Lyft, but that's not good for the driver, right? Because now I'm going to sit in the car. I remember last August when I was driving. I literally could not turn my app off fast enough to take a break because it was request after request. And my utilization rate was about 97, 98%. Now my utilization rate is 52 to 55%. So irregardless of how much demand there is, I'm waiting more. The reason for that is there are eight more drivers right in my vicinity, right? So the things are changing. And when Uber and Lyft comes and talks to you and says, you know, oh yeah, to turn your app on and go make 37 bucks an hour. It's not real because if you take my utilization rate of 50%, actually I'm only making 18 bucks an hour, right? I'm not making 37. So overall, I think the compared to W2, I think it's still a valid, mm-hmm. you know, gig, gig economy is, is a valid competitor to the W2 job today. I wouldn't have said that maybe 15, 20 years ago. W2 came with a lot more benefits, a lot more sustainability. Now W2 is like, what is that? 18 and and, and don't forget from. job security either. Yeah, you don't have that. No, nobody has that anymore. Yeah. 
I mean, very, very, very few. And even them, I'm not so sure of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. But I want to sort of give a shout out. I agree very much with the sort of utilization rate because when I've worked at sort of Uber in ops, right, the stat that we always track the most for drivers is trips per hour, right, which is the Uber's version of sort of utilization rate. Uh, and I think that was sort of the rationale for all the price cuts, right, was the idea that, hey, you can cut the prices, but trips per hour was going up because you're unlocking demand with the price cut. But I feel like, to be honest, almost everyone who, if you look at the population of the U.S., most people have heard of Uber, right? I think this line when I worked at Uber was, despite the fact that this was a huge company, something like 12% of the population had even heard of Uber, uh, that's just not the case anymore, right? So these price cuts hurt because there is just no more trips per hour to go up. So you have sort of the double whammy of sort of there are not that many new people joining the platform and you have more drivers and you have a lower price cut. And I think that's really uh, it's a tough I mean, you, David, you're correct on that. They've reached such scale now that I don't think their intent is to grow, right? Because they have 122 million monthly active users as of, as of, as of the last quarter. So, I mean, pretty much every adult that should could be or on Uber is is as a passenger or an Uber Eats customer or DoorDash or whatever. So everybody's in the game, right? And you would think, since all 122 million are there, the demand is going to stay pretty constant. Even you know goes through some ebbs and flows, but the only constant is if the demand even stays constant. But you double the you know or or even the 50 percent rate. Um, increase the driver base, you know, pie stayed the same. My sliver just became thinner. So to me, as a driver, utilization rate to me is very, 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 very important. Right. Yep. And, 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 and for Uber is to quite the opposite for Lyft, quite the opposite for us is, is, you know, the only, I only get paid when I have a butt in the back seat. Yeah. That's the only time. So, I think that's really sort of a, why our philosophy at Para is like get as many opportunities as you can in one place is exactly because of that utilization rate. Like if you can't yeah. depend on one platform to fill that utilization rate, you got it. That's that's the driver of money. You're completely right. Hundred percent. Chris can talk about that a lot. He talks about it quite a bit. Is about multi apping, right? You got to have choices, man. Mm -hmm. You can't just be on yep. Uber and say, "Oh, I'm going to make money." You're just not going to. Not these days. Uh, before yep. jumping to multi-apping, real quick, I want to ask David something. I because I, I'm because you ha you're the only one of us that actually has operational experience within the walls and the confines of the castle <laughs> of Uber. <laughs> um, I'm curious. So the whole time that, or the the time you were there, that since then everything it's always been let's oversaturate markets. Let's just onboard everybody and bring them on. Why now? In your best guess, I know you don't, nobody knows, but in your best guess, why now would they be doing that same thing when all these states are moving towards these new regulatory payment methods, Massachusetts potentially being unionized on January 1st? I mean, why now keep oversaturating, like Sergio was saying, eight cars I think, within? I think a, a couple mile. of things. So I've worked there sort of like, 2015 to 17 and the philosophy back then was sort of two things right uh the best way to grow end user growth right which is sort of people calling the rides was predicted by eta 
right? So the lower the ETA, the more people used Uber, the more people used Uber, the more trips drivers should go up, pay should go up over time. The second one was they found that that was the fastest way to gain market share on Lyft, right? So people would open up the two apps, sure. whichever app said it was there the fastest. If the price was roughly the same, the ETA was what drove the choice between the two platforms, right? And I think, you know, what you saw was that, you know, that's the idea was, you know, capture, capture, capture more and more of the market, more and more people start using it. And that happened. But I think you've hit that sort of point of saturation. So I think, why are they doing it now? I don't have the answer, but sort of two things. I think one, we have to believe that to some extent, there still is the Lyft's market share is plateaued, if not going down in some of the places. Can we continue to use ETA to drive them into the ground? And I think sort of uh, number two is these marketplace things, you sort of, when I was there, they would always say you sort of balance the market in six-week segments. But essentially, to some extent, there was probably these huge onboarding pushes when the times were good six months ago, earlier at the beginning of the year that are working their way through now, plus what's going on with the economy, right? So I guess not a simple answer there, but that's that's how I'm thinking about it. Well, I mean, it's the unintentional consequence of the economy, of the macro economy, right? I mean, Uber, I, I, this is the lowest costs that they had. I mean, I'm sure David can attest to that. When he was there, they were spending ridiculous amounts of money onboarding drivers and bonuses and sign-up bonuses and things like that. That does not exist today anymore because people are just voluntarily doing it because they need cash. And barriers mm -hmm. to entry is so easy when it comes to being a driver, right? Yeah. And, and where can you make a couple hundred bucks extra cash a week? Just all, a couple hundred bucks. But it adds to the driver supply. Yeah. You know, it's Uber and Lyft or DoorDash or, you know, Instacart or whatever it is. If, if your goal is making a couple, 300 bucks a week to make ends meet, this is the fastest way to do it. When well, I was there, the city of L.A., right, was spending two to three million dollars a week on yep. new driver bonuses and incentives for drivers. Just the city of L.A. Yeah. Right. And I think to some extent, a lot of that was also driven with the price war with Lyft. So that was yep. why so much money was being spent, basically. Yep. Uh, but. Think about that. That like the city of LA alone was spending. There's only eighty thousand drivers, eighty to hundred thousand drivers in LA County. I mean, yeah. it's not that much, but you have to also understand the turnover rate, right? The burnout rate is is intense. I mean, seventy percent quit in less than a year because they do it for a couple three hours until in between jobs or whatever. Because Uber sold it as put your side hustle on. That was their mm -hmm. slogan, right? So yeah. a lot of people just do it for a few hours a week, make a couple hundred bucks, be happy. Uh, but it adds to the driver misery because in those ebbs and flows until the pandemic, I mean, you know, they just kept onboarding new drivers and, and they're doing it now because people actually the first time, I think, in 12 years, their their driver supply is totally sufficient to the demand, totally is. And they're not spending a penny to do it these days because people are just doing it because they need it. Fair enough. Um, so. I guess, you know, I want to, I'm going to twist this in then, Chris, to you, the, since you and I both know Kim, she's a multi-apping queen and we all know Kim, but she's a multi-apping queen. I love Kim. Um, uh, so the crazy quests, the games, the jump through this hoop, let's do this. Let's have epic adventures. Let's go off a mountain. Let's parachute. I mean, this and multi-apping and upfront pricing 
radar. I mean, what 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 has gone on, and 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 are we better off now at the upfront model? Because I think we talked about this a little bit when, we, when David and I were on your show that, you know, like why is the upfront model here fourteen years late? Okay, so um, I guess we could start first with with the games. Uh, I think originally, if you think go back again to the 80-20-75-25 split, uh, that was where the driver made X amount, and then Uber made the remaining amount. Then when they switched over to the um, mile and distance time and pay for that, then you started seeing these quest promotions and these bonuses and all that start popping up. And because Uber and Lyft were still the main two gig platforms out there and you started having food delivery come on board, but not as quickly, I think that's just kind of one of those things where it continued on where you're seeing these bonuses and these quests and these promotions and all these different things going on to try to gamify the system to get drivers to go on at a specific time, at a specific place, um, pretty much to either spread them out or to um, take care of business to have enough drivers on when the demand is coming on board. So let's say DoorDash, you want so many drivers between you know 4 and 9 p.m. on a Friday because that's when the majority of orders are coming in. Uh, so you want to make sure time is also met with the supply where it equals the demand. Um, so I think that's kind of it. And then as these algorithms, as these companies get smarter and smarter, they're able to kind of finesse that and, you know, do all these different tests. Um, David, I don't know how many tests you may know that Uber was running at one point or Lyft is running at one point, um, but they're testing all the time in different markets. So one market might see something, a couple of drivers might might see something to see if that test is, is going to be accurate or not. Uh, and I think it's just a gamification, which Sergio and I have talked about. There was an article written recently, too, uh, where Sergio was uh, part of that interview. And it started with that. And I think that is what drives people on. And then it kind of takes away that whole um, aspect of freedom and flexibility because it's pretty much them telling you, hey, this is when you can go on this, when you can make money. But when you start stacking it, when you kind of use it against them, um, that's when you can start making more money. Um, and it's just the game that you have to play in order to play their game as well too. Uh, so there, there's a few things there. Um, yeah, sometimes you got to play the game in order to make ends meet or to make it out. Uh, but there's a way where you can game out and try to take advantage of them as best as you can and that's going to take a lot of a lot of thought a lot of planning and just kind of scheduling yourself your time your area uh to make sure what works best for you what works best for your area and all these different things come together so then that way yeah you can try to potentially make the most you can um yeah I think you said some. There was another part in that. Well, I was now the the bigger the biggest part of that is is moving into upfront pricing. Um, you know, I would like to know what your guy. I mean, I kind of I've heard you guys talk about. I mean, I've heard you guys talk about this probably every episode, at least to some degree. Um, and I know it's it seems like something that we should all four of us should be able to just look at for an hour and understand it. <laughs> like it's not a lot of numbers. It's not a lot of stuff, but. But yet I've heard you guys talking around this, you know, like, and it all makes sense. But what's the overall take? Because I'm going to be honest with you guys, just putting it out there that 
I this could have been done years ago. We've all been mm-hmm. asking. Veteran drivers have all been asking for this forever. Just show us everything. If I don't like it, I won't take it. I mean, I think that you guys probably, Sergio, I don't know how, how much it was in your market, but Chris, I know the markets you're talking about were probably like mine in Denver. There was a time when your acceptance rate and rating was a threat to you. Yeah. Yep. Like truly, even though it shouldn't have been, it was. And if you dipped under, what was it, 80, you were done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that they used to actually do that. Acceptance rating no longer mattering. That's huge. But is the upfront, after all the research you guys have been doing, is the upfront model looking good, fair, decent? No, I mean, you know, uh, I think upfront is another rate cut, um, a small one, albeit, but I think it's a rate cut. Um, but I think Uber is looking at this as, well, you know, after 12 years, we're showing the driver the destination. So it's kind of an exchange, right? Well, you get paid less because now you see the destination of the passenger because it comes together as a package. And to me, it shouldn't be that way, obviously. Um, and this upfront, you know, we talked about it the last two weeks with many, many drivers around the country that it shouldn't be coming with any restrictions, but it is. So they're getting logged out for hours, hours at a time. Now, Uber says it's a glitch. I don't think there are any glitches in the Uber world. I think most of everything is intentional. Um, to me, if I can decline 20 trips in a row and I can be online, but this guy in Texas declines three and he gets logged out literally out of the system for three hours, right? What kind of independent contractor does that make me? But going back to real quickly to the you know gamification, look, this, this I mean, Uber, Uber honestly thinks that most people are ignorant of the fact that um, this carrot and stick game that they play with the colorful surge maps and bells and whistles, this truly is like a casino. And, and, and I know this and David can maybe, you know, agree or not, but uh, Uber hires hundreds of, you know, social workers and psychiatrists to design all these programs because every time you hear an uber ping it truly does release some sort of chemical in your brain it does like you know to me i've been with the platform for seven years every time i hear the ping you know something happens to me i just like a little adrenaline rush it's like if i feel like oh Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity here i'm like a dog that's about to get a bone right there's a there's a special place in the afterlife for those people uh, yeah, yeah well those people you know, they're probably they're probably going to go in there and they're not going to like to see me up there that's what it is but but to me it's like upfront is going to be a rate cut ultimately to be proven to be a rate cut mm-hmm. you know they called it rebalancing i think it's rebalancing towards them more than anything else um without giving up much because we're going to talk about it tomorrow but um it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be an exchange. It shouldn't be exchanged for something that an independent contractor should have had for 10 years anyway. So exactly. Yeah. I'm, not I'm, that's why, that, that's yeah. why I was wondering, and I know we touched on it a little bit before and, and David, please weigh in here. Like, that's why I was wondering if, if all these years, I mean, cause obviously they have, but have they gained that algorithmic advantage that they want to now go, you know what? Mm-hmm. We got you. We figured this out. 100%. Well, I would, I would joke, I remember uh, that they've even gained a lot of the sort of the job I used to do out of existence, right? So what had happened was you used to have a lot of operations managers on the ground, and I would set all the parameters every week, right? So we're going to offer this sort of incentive, we're going to test a bunch of these different sort of things, and then we would feed all the data back to HQ, 
right? And then HQ started getting smart. They're like, we actually need to coordinate across all the cities in a better way. So they started something called Uber Labs. And their job was, I forget it was labs, but something like that. And their job was basically to coordinate the tests across the cities. So they were the layer that sat there being like, these 30 cities are going to run a version of this. These 30 cities are going to run a version of this. We're going to look at basically the results of all of these. And by the time I was leaving, they built almost like this machine. And what the machine would do is you tell it in the market, this is what I want to accomplish for the week. And the machine would go and create the tests. It would go deploy it to drivers. It would go measure its own results. It would read all the prior historical results and then teach itself and then go pay people. So it reached a point when I was leaving from where at first I used to have to go manually upload Excel sheets every day to design the experiments to I would just tell the machine what I wanted it to do. Basically, so over the course of, I wasn't even there for two years, right? But in the course of just under two years, I was there. It went from, it took four or five years worth of data, but very quickly this machine took it over, right? Yeah. Uh, just fed with years and years and years of data. And, and it's yeah. run across every single market in every single city, right? And cut across all types of information you could imagine. Uh, yeah, and the baby of that yeah, machine that now is our <laughs> Yeah, sort of the op. Uh, I always joke that we built a machine. You know, we built a machine that put a lot of the line ops people out of a job. Not really, because there's other stuff to do. But essentially, that part of the work got automated away. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I'm not going complete um, Will Smith AI here, but I, <laughs> I happen to think that um, we're moving way too quick in technology, and I mean by that, I don't mean like. We shouldn't be trying to figure things out, but I feel like by what I mean by moving too quick is I think that we were like, okay, that's done. And we move on. And yet it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, can we make that right first? It's horrible. Yeah. But I think, you know, the yeah. why not upfront, right? I think it goes to the same reason that we, like, and I at least have that problem with the tip transparency with DoorDash, right? Is it's the same thing is it's easy. Like they're trying to balance a market across even in a city, multiple geographies, Right. And by not showing up front, it makes it easier to balance this geography that's having a harder time than that geography, et cetera. And it's the same reason for the tip transparency in DoorDash, right? They don't show it for everyone because they want to make it easier to fulfill the trip nobody wants to take. And I really think it's just sort of the wrong thinking, right? I understand the rationale as to why it's an efficient way to help balance the market. But viewing it from the other lens, it's drivers are independent contractors, so this is not right, and they should know what they're going to be paid ahead of time and have the information. The rationale or the reason doesn't really matter, right? But I think that's why it's taken up until this point is just, you know, it's more convenient. Not yeah, to, and uh, to add to that, Uber and Lyft are not bound to any type of rate. So there's no time distance. There's no, uh, or I'm sorry, time pay. There's no distance pay. There's no, there's nothing like that. So they're not bound. They could, you know, they could finagle what they want to pay. And they're saying it's more transparent because you know the pickup, the drop off, you know how much you're going to earn, but you don't know how they're coming up with that figure. So they could say, oh, we're going to kind of keep it around the same rates, but, you know, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen three months from now, six months, two years from now? What's it going to look like? All of that is still in the unknown. So they're not bound to any figures. They, they can just kind of go back and forth wherever they want and then balance. Okay, well, drivers are going to accept this. They're not going to accept this. We can't go lower than this rate. And they're harvesting all of that data on top of it so they can really pinpoint 
where drivers are going to say no and where drivers are going to say yes. And I think that's part of, of what they're doing. So they're just, you know, accumulating the billions and billions of trips that they've had, the data points that they've had, the, the, the driver data points, all of these different things. I think they're just, you know, combining into one system and trying to, to finesse it back and forth. And sort of like that, Nicola right? and drivers. Like with that, there's like, I mean, this is sort of the wonky way of putting it. It's like the only way to push back on a mark, like, you know, a market force enabled market force, tech force enabled marketplace is through market forces. Or in the simplest way is if they're seeing what you do or don't take, the easiest way to affect the system is not to take it. I think the issue is up until this point, what a lot of people have said equals this should be a strike. This means we should turn off the app. The problem is coordinating and asking people to not make money is hard. And I guess maybe that's why, to some extent, where the philosophy underlying a lot of what we're doing at Para, and where I think a lot of us agree in terms of that utilization rate really comes in, right? It's hard to ask people to say no, but the way to get people to stop taking trips and to get that market force back is to have other good trips for the time, right? I think is really where it goes to. It's like the best way to push on an algorithm like that is if giving people alternatives such that they say no, right? So forget the wonky part of it. It's basically just like, that's the way that pricing goes up is if enough people say no to trips. And I think the only way to do that is more opportunities. But, you know, but that's uh, David, that's the discriminatory aspect of these algorithms, right? I mean, you have a two-sided marketplace when, it, when you talk about rideshare. You have the passenger, you have the driver, and you have Uber in the middle, right? So to me, the algos are set up to be discriminatory for the driver and the passenger, meaning, you know, in fact, I spoke to our friend Len Sherman for an hour today because, Chris, you watched the video, the, 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 the one we did with all the trips today. He goes, how come you only would have taken one out of 26 that Uber threw you? I go, because that's what I'm worth. That's what I'm going to do, right? So we were talking about it for over an hour today. He's a business professor at Columbia Law, Business School, and the guy is, is teaching there. He's no dummy. And he goes... And he said this to me a long time ago. He says, this is no rocket science, right? He goes, you have to charge as much as you can on one side, and you have to be able to pay as little as possible on the other side. And that's the only way you're going to make money. And this this, this upfront that they have brought up finally, and I think, and he's a huge believer that Uber, more than any other gig company, is a massive, massive data bank. And they live on data, they, they flourish on data, they analyze data every second of every day globally. And just like David said, you know, the machine is learning, constantly learning how to squeeze more out of the passenger and how to squeeze more out of the driver. And the driver is easy. I mean, you cut rates or you lower incentives or whatever it is. But on the passenger side, especially, you know, everybody has tendencies and the machine is learning what bars you go to, what restaurants you go to, what time do you go to work, what, what airlines you fly, what hotels you stay at. And they're gearing pricing to the passenger according to their habits. Where are you traveling? Are you going to, to this market that's Absolutely. that's blue collar? Are you going to this that's even lesser blue collar? Are you going, where, where do you go when you go out? What can you Absolutely. afford? I mean, you talk about some of those incentives of drivers. I mean, this was back in 2017 when I was there, right? We called it like wiggles, right? It was called wiggles for users, but we were testing on an individual level what your price sensitivity was, right? So there was an individual model. Did you, did you really that do that? Play. Because David, that was my biggest, you know, that was my, it's not a concern, obviously, because Uber, as Uber, you got to do what you got to do. But I always thought, that every passenger and every driver has a tiny little sliver in an AWS server 
And Uber spits pricing out to the passenger according to their tendencies. And Uber also spits out pricing to the driver according to their tendencies. If you're, I don't know the AWS bucket, but when I was like the last couple months I was there, that was the big push is when they decoupled rider and driver pay. We introduced the rider wiggle, which meant not only would Steve and I get different prices going from the same place to the same place, but even I, David, over the course of months, they would figure out exactly what my price point was. Right. So that like individual price sensitivities, and this is in 2017 and the world's gotten a lot smarter since then. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I can't imagine what they have now. But David, if we, if we were talking about too, if on the driver's side is that they can price driver a and driver B who are sitting right next to each other, get a ping request coming in. They can price it completely different based on the factors of driver a and driver B. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think that like let's talk zip just pretending on zip codes here for a minute? So you're in San Francisco. Let's say that you're downtown and I am in South San Francisco and we're equidistance from the airport. I, I mean, do you think that there that kind of thing's going on? Like my zip code, my we'll pay him this. I mean, I know they're different rides, it's kind of a hard comparison, but I, I think mean, like, they wouldn't you, do it on zip directly because that would open a whole other can of worms probably but well they, any they kind would argue of, that they're doing it on, of... they'd argue they're doing it on steve as the individual sure but yeah I but mean, i mean I, you... I, I did this test the other day with the wall street journal reporter and she was um you know we were talking about a subject and then i said i'm gonna turn your passenger up on it's pretty karana with the wall street journal and i said turn your app on i go well order a rec- are you at the office she goes yeah i go go ahead and order a trip to your house and she ordered one trip on her account and it said 16 bucks, whatever it is. And then I said, now switch your credit card and order another trip. And she switched her credit card or another bit, it popped her 26 bucks. Same trip, same distance, same time, within 30 seconds. So Uber is paying all so much attention to all this information. And 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 you know, to me, I think if you're in an underprivileged community, the pricing of the trips is definitely going to be done differently for you than if you are living in Beverly Hills. Okay, mm-hmm. there is absolutely no doubt about that. Or early morning, you know, for the passenger side, right? That's one thing that I want to do badly, but then it's very difficult to get to the passenger because passenger loves the convenience. If the passenger knew what kind of games they're playing with, because as drivers, we know what kind of games we're getting played. But as a, as a passenger, you can spread the word saying that this is what you're doing or they're doing to you. I mean, do you really want to play this game? Right. Because ultimately, both companies are going to do the same thing. They're going to come pick you up, drive you to somewhere, drop you off. That's it. It's not, it's not a big deal. Why pay more? But people just don't understand that, that, that if I live in Beverly Hills, I should be charged for the same distance and duration for the same trip as somebody else would get charged a lot less. Why should it be that way? Just because I'm rich? It shouldn't be that way. Where it goes to, right? Because I think at the time we weren't thinking about it as nefarious, right? There really was at least part of the word I was in, right? Was this idea like, hey, like, you know, you would be able to subsidize trips that might not make as much sense with people who won't feel the difference on a buck or two, right? But the problem is with that technology, it, it depends on what you want to optimize for, right? So you can use that and say, hey, I want to optimize to subsidize the trips in this, or you can say, I want to optimize to make Uber the most money. Yeah. Right. And I think it really is sort of uh, what are you using it for? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think discriminatory, you know, the algos are supposed to be discriminatory and they're doing a great job. And I think they have finally perfected it. 
and otherwise we wouldn't have upfront pricing and and I, they wouldn't so have released they wouldn't have released upfront pricing is it everywhere for everyone i think that's the part that's always a little confusing is that it seems like it's most places for most people but not always but yeah, it's on all major cities yeah, all major it's cities. even in yeah, buffalo it's... yeah yeah, we had it in August. <laughs> we had it before Sergio did. Yeah, I only had it, I only had upfront for five weeks. I mean, I had a version of upfront with restrictions because of Prop Twenty Two. I remember that on one of your shows, you yeah. were doubting somebody about Lyft, yeah. and then you turned your app on, and there it, it was well, exactly. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yeah, we, 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 we got that the same day. I mean, upfront is a good thing. I, I cannot say anything bad about it because I know where I'm going. Okay, finally, I know where I'm yep. going. Yeah. Yep. The only bad thing mm -hmm. about it is is that is I I think if it's if it comes with a cut, you know, everybody has to decide on their own what kind of cut they're gonna you know if it's okay to cut or not to cut. But um, according to both CEOs, which we interviewed, and one president, one CEO, they both said, if you don't accept chips, it's on us. So I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold them to it. I mean, I really am because that's public information. You're on my channel saying during an interview yeah. that hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch or watched already yeah. saying that if you don't accept tips, it's on us. Give us yeah. time for our algorithms to learn. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. If well, that's really we'll the case. Because I, I, I hope Gordas would do the same thing, right? Actually, that yeah. makes me happy to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, but, but here's the thing. Like, okay, so upfront pricing. Like, David, when you and I met, we this is what we would have dreamed of. Like, this is all, this is what we wanted. If the next day after we met, they were like, well, we're going to do this. We would have gone totally different path than we did, right? So if they're going to do this upfront, is <laughs> Is it so much so that everybody's so stoked? There's going to be some changes in this new year. This administration wants a lot of things. Unions want a lot of things. Do you think it's? And I don't know if I'm going to aid if I'm going to date some people's age here, but do you almost feel like I almost feel like it's like New Coke? I don't know if you guys remember when they did New Coke. They like literally threw away the good Coke recipe, yeah, yeah. and then bottle and then recanned Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> they made it taste like Pepsi, and they're like New Coke and and then Coke Classic became not, you couldn't even get it for a while. Yeah. Only new Coke. And I feel like upfront pricing might be the new Coke. Like it's here because it's transparent. And then after the new year and stuff, let's rip that out. And then what's next? There's you know? always something changing. Look, you know, it, it, we're blessed and lucky enough. I, I, I don't like politics or talking about politics, but you know, in politics, everything is moving at all times. The, you know, the, the bar is moving all the time. In right chair, honestly, it's just, it's, you know, I feel like a comedian that's, you know, like a Jay Leno that's going to make fun of this politician or the other one. In our world, there's always something happening on a daily basis. Honestly, if you just say Google Uber news, I mean, there's like 20 pieces of news happening at the same time every single day. So we're never going to be short on material. However, I think at the moment they're going to leave it as is because uh, when, it, when it comes to upfront and destination that comes as a package, um, if they took upfront destiny, the destination part of the package, honestly, I think that'll be the hugest mistake they will ever make. Because at the moment, look, they're taking advantage of what they're being presented with because of the macroeconomic conditions. Okay, mm -hmm. that will pass. You know, we know mm -hmm. economy goes bad, economy goes good. But once you give that to people, which is, you know, 
top 20 markets of Uber is 90% of their revenue source, and they all have it without a restriction, supposedly. And if they start going backwards, and the only way they're going to do that, by the way, is if there is a driver shortage. Because to Uber, the most important thing is not the driver. We have to call it the way it is. The most important thing for Uber is how fast can I pick up Steve? How fast can I pick up Chris David? How fast? is? Am I faster than Lyft? Because that's my competitor. And if I'm faster to pick them up, I'm okay with it. Although there are you know, rides being declined right and left because they're being mispriced according to their CEOs, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it because I have all this slack, all this, all this additional supply that's willing to accept the garbage, okay? As so, long as what they, like you said, as long as what they were saying, they follow through yeah. with. Exactly, yeah. So, mm-hmm. but when yeah. that ends, when the driver supply goes away, right? And then we're at, a, at an equilibrium and people continuously start declining trips and passenger pickup ETAs go up to maybe back to what they used to be, you know, right after the pandemic because of the shortage, maybe 10, 12, 14 minutes, then they will take it away. They will go, screw this. I'm not going to show this guy where he's going. He's only accepting one out of 20 that I'm sending him. And, you know, so. Right. Start maybe going back to like, hey, you got to take, you you didn't take eight of 10. Now you got to take 10 of 10 and then you'll get back your. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we all see that a, coming. That genie's hard to put back in the bottle. Yeah, I think so. Hope, yeah. Right? But how many times have they given out something and then taken away? Look at Lyft Stay Within Area. Amazing feature. Amazing. Yeah. Like, you can set the radius of where you want to be. When they first brought it out, unlimited time. Now they're putting a time on it. Huh. Area preference from Uber. They were rolling that out in certain markets. Now it's an Uber Pro Reward for certain drivers if you don't get it i think it's platinum and and uh diamond uh i can't remember off the top of my head if it's both or or anything more but they're putting they they give you stuff then they take it away and put on restrictions so why not the only thing is i think that their pricing structure can go up and down and i think that's going to kind of uh just be how much data they can collect and how much they can figure out and make either a personal driver profile um, or an area profile or whatever it might be in order to balance everything. Um, So I think that we're probably going to have upfront uh, earnings stay here. And I think we're going to probably not really have it tied to acceptance rate or anything like that. I think that what they're just going to end up doing is just bobble. I think you said wiggle. I think we're going to have a driver wiggle where they're going to go up with the pricing, down with the pricing, and they're just going to kind of go back and forth because again, they're not tied to some sort of pay model structure like time and distance. They're not tied to that. So they could, if they want to raise it a dollar for each ride, they could. If they want to take it away, they could. They're not bound to anything. So yeah, I, mean, I think we, that's you know, a lot in the background. Yeah, exactly true. I mean, we did the Uber Math, Uber Math 101 on one of the shows. Look, Uber did 2 billion trips last quarter, literally mm-hmm. 2 billion individual trips, not dollars worth, individual right, trips. Right, right. They squeezed all that into their quarter, right? And, and with this upfront pricing, all they have to do is make it like a nickel or a dime at a time in each trip. That's $200 million every quarter. That's gone directly to their bottom line. It's, this is pure, pure, pure profit for them. It's not revenue. All they have to do is take 10, you know, 10 pennies from a driver and maybe charge 10 more pennies to the passenger. Nobody will feel it. Nobody will feel it. And to them, though, because of the scale that they have, 
and you know it's massive massive amounts of money it's billions of billions of dollars and i think that's exactly what they're going to do and they're going to slowly ratchet numbers and nickel less dime less who's going to pay attention other than surge well most drivers don't yep. even know what's going on right so i'm like i mean that's what their goal is and i think they're going to achieve it well if they yeah, watch and show me the money club the analogy you know, where uh, they're not going to not going to fly by me i know that and not chris but you know we have, so, we have a certain amount of reach, man. You know, it's just, it's not easy to explain this to all people. And, you know, we're going to keep trying. No, but people, I, I've, you know, you guys are doing the show. I'm sitting on the other side of the wall in chat usually. And I'm watching and I see people come into one live and then I see them in the next one or the next yeah. one. And I see them staying longer. So I feel yeah. like they're like, like they take in a little bit, like we all did in the beginning, and then their head hurts. <laughs> Yeah. And then they leave and they're like, I'll come back next week because that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah they're, they're I feel like <laughs> they are starting to get smarter, though. The real yeah. drivers are yeah. starting to like want to know more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the one thing, though, that I, I kind of fear when it comes to these companies and the data that they're collecting is the conditioning that they're they're going to start doing if they're not already con doing that. I mean, we have the conditioning when it comes to the gamification of all of these promos and quests and bonuses and that. But what about the conditioning of a driver to take a rate at a at a specific point, let's say five dollars for the ride, then in you know a, a week or two, it's four ninety five for the same ride, and then three months from now, as they're slowly bringing it down, they're reconditioning drivers to accept less and less for the same that they would have taken today, uh, let's say. So. That's the one thing that I fear the most when it comes to these upfront, because again, they're not tied to anything and they can pretty much base it off anything. But the thing is, if you go too low, you're definitely not going to get anything. But if you do it incremental and you do it smart and it's like boiling in Sergio with his analogy, talking about uh, taking the frog and putting it into a boiling water, it's going to jump out right away. But if you put it into warm water and then heat it up over time, it'll cook itself to death. So that's the biggest thing that I fear when it comes to these companies, yeah. how their pricing structure is happening when it comes to drivers and then adding trip radar onto that, you know, yeah. that whole game there. Um, it, I, I don't like what I'm seeing. I like the upfront. I don't like what I'm seeing behind it. And I don't know if enough people are looking at the yeah. back end of those things. Yeah. Because I know the conversation we've had a lot, Steve, right? It's like if people are upfront and if there's full transparency, is that enough? Has that made the gig economy better, right? And I think where I go to is like, that is when we pull sort of the people, sort of the driver's right movement and all like the number one response is actually transparency. I'm yeah. always surprised by that. I think number one's transparency. I want more transparency. Number two is actually, I want to make a living wage. Number three is I need more trips to be able to get that living wage. And then sort of number four is I want to drive safer on the road and stuff like that. But I that's sort of really where I go to is, I loved the sort of keep me in this radius. I liked those sort of features from Uber and Lyft. And it's a little disappointing to see that they're sort of uh, hiding, you know, sort of hiding that. They've basically done the calculus and said, hey, unless you're a driver worth this much to us, there's a net benefit or cost to us of doing this. And unless you far exceed that cost, we're just not going to give that to you. And uh, that's frustrating to me i think a little bit of a sneak peek is i'd heard that a couple of weeks ago so i know we have this new auto decline feature on para but actually we are bringing we are in the process right now of building the keep me in a radius or filter out restaurants with a name 
like, or with anything that contains, you can say, hey, I don't want Taco Bell. Hey, keep me in five miles and all of that. So I think to some extent, we're going to try and backfill that and say, hey, we, you know, if they're going to get rid of it, we'll just bring it right back. So, so while we're through. while we're wrapping this up, I, I at least I we have to touch on the personal dispatch system. I don't even care if it's just for a quick little minute here. David and I have been talking about this for a long time. I would love to, I just want to pick everybody's brain and get an idea or two off this thought because I think this is what, I really believe in what David is talking about here. And I think this is the future. I think the future is, and it kind of aligns with you being in control of yourself as much as you can. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to just say 30 seconds. Um, that's the gig, gig economy 2.0. Okay. To me, when I first started, I had just Uber, then I added Lyft. And then years later I added, you know, all the other ones, you know, I have Amazon flex and, you know, all the ones that I have to test and see. Right. The most important thing to me, right, is uh, to have more choices and, and, and you know, the, the transparency part is important to me. Making money is important to me, obviously. But if there is a way of me taking my personal package as a driver or as a gig worker and hop on different, you know, islands, as I call it. Let it be DoorDash today, let it be Uber Eats for two hours tomorrow, let it be, you know, Lyft the next day or whatever, you know. If there's a system that can make my life easier by saying, hey, Serge, you know, I'm, I'm your new dispatcher. This is where you're going for the next two hours, and this is where you're going to go for the next two hours, and this is where you're going to go for the next two hours, and you're all of your six hours, instead of watching YouTube in your car or Netflix, you're busy, you make yeah. your money, a decent living, and move on. I would be like the ultimate, ultimate dream of gig worker as a gig worker that I am. So I think you guys are on the totally the right path, totally the right path, because people want to make money and move on. That's it. That's not make this complicated. It's just simple as that. And I think the key thing there is, I think, not even just like, I think you look at like what would help drive that I think it's less of a, hey, go work Uber for two hours here and go work DoorDash for four hours there later. Any pro driver knows that right now, right? I think sort of the, You'd be the surprised. way to do it is you need more, you need more options. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and also you don't want to lose the flex. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I, mean, I, I love the Part of that is we don't want to all be in Amazon flex blocks. No, but every I app and try but, but to... David and I think you, Steve, are are on the right path for the fact that, um, you know, every, every gig worker, I mean, this is, this is a reality, you know, Uber and Lyft were the only two things that people would talk about before the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. Literally. I mean, that was it. There were, yeah. you know, there was DoorDash, there was Uber East, there was all these like, Grubhub, whatever. And let's be but honest, Grubhub, Grubhub was the most successful pre-pandemic yes, because, because, they, right? because yeah. they put people on wait lists. They said, exactly. don't oversaturate. Exactly. So to me, you know, now there's an app for everything. And if I can take myself as a gig worker, there's literally an app for everything. Seriously. If I can take myself, you know, and, and I look at like a, I'm a hummingbird. I go here, I go here, I go there, I go here. And I'm like, I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with my own personal ROI for my time because it's time. I'm out there. I'm trying to, you know, I'm not there to do anything but make money and go home safe. And you guys, if you can facilitate more choices, yes, there is maybe an oversaturation of apps these days, but there is no such thing in my mind. I mean, the more the merrier. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, an average, like David, you said that on our show, right? What is the, is it 
uh, 4.6 apps now per driver or per gig worker? Uh, now, I mean, in our days, it's like 3 point something, but that's... 3 point something? Well, we want to get that to 9.8. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I always sort of... I like how you said sort of like a hummingbird. The way I've always viewed it is like, you should be your own key and you should be able yeah. to unlock opportunities because of your work history and you should be able to skip all the Absolutely. right? Because frankly, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you, Sergio, and I were applying to a delivery or a rideshare company, frankly, you should be pre-approved and I shouldn't, right? It just, it makes sense. hundred percent. hundred percent. So Chris, um, if, when you hear personal dispatch system, and I mean, it's, it's not even, it's not even done yet. It's, 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 it's an idea. What, mm-hmm. what is the first thing you would think of that you would want in that? Or what is something um, they, you can even think outside the box? Something to add. We're just trying to take ideas yeah, so down for, here. For me, I think it's great to be able to to hook up all these different apps. You know, having it in one location and then setting up the parameters for the apps. Um, so then that way you can try to get your utilization rate as high as a hundred percent or close to it. Um, just because the more time you are driving someone around, you're moving a package, you're delivering food, whatever it is, that's when you're making money. You know, it's not sitting there waiting. So if you have the ability to, to as Sergio, 9.8, uh, if you could have 10 apps that you can pretty much go on or be saying, hey, I'm willing to accept it if these parameters are met. And that could change day to day. That could change time to time. Maybe you need to stay close to home because of whatever reason. Maybe you need to actually be at a specific location by a certain time. And so you don't want to go too far away. You don't want to risk that. Um, but still keeping the ability when you turn something on, you know, right away, you're able to get something Th- that dispatcher is saying, hey, we got something here. Would you like to take it? Meet your parameters. Let's go. And then, you know, once you wrap that up or finishing that up, you get your next thing. So you get your queue going. And then that way you can pretty much go right when you sign on to when you're ready to get off, taking the trips, taking the rides, taking whatever you want in your own parameters, and then having that system meet you and keeping your independence, your flexibility, your freedom. And then these apps maybe have to compete with that. Um, And competition is a good thing. So if they got to compete for you, that, that's flipping it a little bit. So if that's the possibility or the the projection, um, that would be awesome. You know, yeah, one of the things... 100%. Uh, hmm? I know, I agree with you oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah, and then I think it's Lending Tree or something. You get like four different banks that will compete for your uh, for your business, basically. So they're trying to to compete with each other, but that's the whole thing. Like if we could flip it where they're trying to compete for your business or your, I guess your ability to drive or to ride or whatever it might be, then maybe they're going to price it better. And that's going to create a competition as well too, which is going to help, you know, the gig worker. I look at it and say, how can we improve for the gig worker? How can we improve for the platform? Because we need these platforms in order to connect, connect people and then also for the customer to make them happy. So it's not a win-lose-lose. It's not a lose-win-win. It's a win-win-win. And that's uh, something I'd like to see. And that potentially could be uh, if that's what I'm thinking about. So hopefully that answers your question. Well, yeah, no, and I, and I like that. I'm sure David does too, because one thing I was thinking when you were saying that is like one of the things I would like, almost like a calendar integration. Like I'd like to integrate that I have my son's 
this at 4 p.m. in Park Hill, Denver. So I need to be there at 3.45. Don't screw around with me. I don't want any talk about it. Just make sure I'm there. And that's not sort of crazy, right? But we were talking about earlier about how there was this black box that lived on all the data that could deploy information, deploy incentives, read it, and learn from it. He just harness a tiny percent of those smarts and basically say, hey, Steve needs to pick up his son from school at 4 p.m., so keep him in a five-mile radius beforehand. I mean, and, right, or get him back yeah. to it if you took him yeah. out of it. Exactly. That's true flexibility, though, right? That's true flexibility right there, right? But today, I don't call it flexible, honestly. It's like, you know, you have to work You have to work when and where there is demand today, yeah. period. It's not rocket science, right? It's like, well, this technology yeah. exists. We just need to arm the individual yeah. worker with it, right? It's like, it's not yeah. rocket science. Yeah. I mean, I think David and said then not that only that, if, uh, he said he said something that you know hit me the other day when I had a you know um, Zoom with him. He said, you know, don't you don't work for the gig economy. Make the gig economy work for you, right? That's the thing. You you, you know that's that's I think the most important thing to me. That yeah, we all work in the gig economy, but we're working, you know, with this app, with that app. But then you know, if there was a package presented to a lot of gig workers in a form that that makes them truly flexible. And with all these little nuances that I think are very important to people, because if I have to pick up my son at 345, I have to stop what I'm doing at 330. None of these things exist today. None of it exists. And maybe that is the gig, gig economy 2.0. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, not only that too, for a lot of people, if they're not multi-apping, the question is, is it sustainable for you as a driver? or delivery driver. Some of these apps, I'm gonna say no, it's not sustainable for particular drivers, depending on their area or whatever it might be. So you have to bring in multiple apps in order to continue that, especially with the oversaturation of markets, especially with, uh, you know, rate cuts happening, uh, games that they're playing, you know, uh, conditions that they're putting on. If you can take that away and, you know, you can say, hey, I'm gonna be, um, the jack of all trades, master of none, then that means, hey, I, I, I'm happy with, you know, as long as I can tell you exactly what I want or where I want to go, what I want to do, and then you fulfill that and you just kind of fill in those pieces, put that puzzle together for me, and then I just follow along for the ride, I'm great with that. Yeah. David, I'm going to try and once a week bring you a, like a almost like a brain buster because here's something I would want, and I don't even know. I don't even know if this is possible. Maybe all you guys will have something to say on this, but I'm starting to get to a point where, and I know Uber and Lyft, or, or at least Uber, Uber's Uber, so whatever, but to all these other gig companies, in this personal dispatch system, in the dream, could there be a way to either have a singular company holding data and releasing it to the companies for what needs are approved or things of that nature, but then somehow get the drivers back a little bit of money for their data since the data is being sold anyway. Could there be a company involved or I don't even know want to say company. Could there be something involved, a mechanism? I feel like the control has to be in the hand of the individual driver and you should know where that data is coming or going. I'm blanking on the name, but, uh, there is a there's a company that was trying to that is trying to do that right now where they go and say hey we sell 
your, we collect all, you know, if you're a rideshare driver, you can opt in, we'll collect your information. The government wants to buy this information sometimes. And when the government buys the information, you'll get a cut of the There's money. a dash cam company doing it too. The problem is the government contract versus the number of drivers needed to buy in. It just ends up being everybody makes sense, basically. So it just doesn't really add up. Uh, but I could view a world in which that could make sense. Data is becoming more and more valuable by the day, though. It is by our data is more valuable than gold. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it shouldn't be in the hands of a company, right? It's like the data, right? Right. And this is getting a little wonky, but yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things we're trying to push for the DRM is like the companies argue that they own the data, right? And I'm not, you know, I think from a legal perspective, we won't be able to argue that drivers own the data, but drivers should have an equal co-ownership in the data that you've created, basically, right? And I think that is- Something, yeah, something along, see, that's why I was throwing it at you that way. I knew you'd spin it somehow. (laughs) But what you knew what I was saying, that somehow like, dude, and and it's not going to go down. It's going to get, data's going to become worth more and more and more. Like, I, you know, like these guys were talking about the advertising going on in the ride shares. They're doing that targeted on where you go. I mean, this is messed up stuff. So if they're going to do all this stuff, I feel like, you know, we have to, you, you can't, the, the term live under the radar, that doesn't exist anymore. You can be in Northern, you know, Canada and you, there is no off the radar. The radar is the, is everything now. And yeah, I, I feel like data is just going to be coming. It's, it's worth so much to these companies. Why don't yeah. I get a piece? I want to give a shout mm-hmm. out to this guy. It was called driver's seat cooperative. I think was trying to do this. I remember the name of the company. Like you said, I understand that it shouldn't be a company, but I'm, I don't even mind if at the end of every episode, you don't answer it and you wait till the next week and you just write it down and go, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go to the blackboard on this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, the one takeaway, I know we're sort of at time here, but utilization rate is something I want to highlight more for people. So I'm going to go back to the drive. And actually, I think they're going to be the one thing if I had to take away something from this chat is like, yeah, how can you highlight that for people? Yeah, the people who yeah. show me, like DoorDashers, especially DoorDashers all the time show me, well, look, this is my week. And when they first show me that, I the first thing I look at isn't their, isn't their dash, isn't their active time, active time, it's their dash time. Like how long were were you on 80 hours and you dashed for 35? Because to me, that's still 80 hours of work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean or what? at least wasted time, but it's it that's month that's hours you could have put elsewhere and earned. But that's again, that's again the programming of Uber and Lyft to the drivers. That's what they did, right? Because they put in, you know, they sell you this dream of oh, active hours is this much, you can make this much. I'm not buying that to me. I mean, I have a lot of different profitability matrix when I drive. I have five to be exact. And the toughest one is to me, because I have a chance to grab a trip right in front of my doorstep of my house with my neighbor going to LAX or going to the airport. Right. And I have a chance to earn money on my way back home. So to me, the most honest way drivers should look at is when I leave my garage and when I return to my garage, that's it. Right. That's the toughest way, but that's the most honest way. Right. And then you have all these online time, active time, this and that. Active time is meaningless to me. Right. It's really right. meaningless. I can make $100. Because I, I see time. people tell me that their earnings based on active time. 
Oh my! And, and I'm like, that's. <laughs> I mean, like maybe we can talk about different ways of looking at this, but that's not well, one of them. We're gonna do that on Show Me the Money. Going <laughs> next couple three weeks, we're gonna have like education, 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 because that's what we need to do. We need to explain it to you. You like it, you like it. You don't understand it, it's okay. We'll explain it to you again. But I think that's the most important thing. Education of the drivers has been missing from the first day on, and I think we need to fill that gap. We need I would to love to see a piece where you could basically just highlight with the charts like utilization rate is probably the most you know it is one the most of the important. Drivers. yeah absolutely it's absolutely. the best number for data uh for uber and lyft to you know advertise saying hey we if you work you know 20 hours on active time your your average is 37 dollars an hour but if you're only active 20 percent of the hour you know you just take 20% of $37 and that's what you're going to make. So it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's something that they really have to, to get away from and, you know, realize that active time is not what you need to. When I start my app is pretty much when I leave my driveway and then I'll put a, a destination filter when I want to go back home, back on towards the house. And, you know, once I get close to home, I'll shut it off. But, you know, if, I'm still going five minutes or more or something. That's the time that I say that I'm out on the road. So if I go out at 8 p.m. and I come back at 4.30 in the morning, if I'm, you know, online, let's say about 99.9% .9 of that. Um, but if I'm only active for half of that, you know, that's your pay that you're taking. If you want to look at it an hourly, uh, that's only half the time. So, exactly. you know, lastly, I mean, the gig economy is such a business that, you know, a lot of people compare, you know, like foolish arguments. They say, oh, well, they, you know, everybody travels to work 45 minutes each way. They're not getting paid for that. Well, guess what? In the gig economy, <laughs> I actually have a chance to get paid for that because I could grab a trip and come home and getting paid at the same time I'm mm -hmm. going into the city with. Right. So don't compare your W2 45 minutes stuck in traffic, you know, because they go like, yeah, but, you know, if you do that, I'm like, no, man. And that's the thing, you see, you know, that's the that's the the Pollyanna stuff that that Uber and make, Lyft make it look like, like, oh yeah, it's active time. Active time is meaningless, absolutely yeah. meaningless. I agree. But but the drivers yeah. now have to help themselves and understand all these things. You have to know what it costs you to run a car for the hour or by the mile or whatever it is, because honestly, if people figured this out we wouldn't probably have this kind of an oversaturation problem because most of these people are not actually making money. They're actually maybe losing money after expenses. And to mm -hmm. me, if, if I'm telling you you're losing money after expenses, you wouldn't go do that. You just go get a W-2 and then stand somewhere and make 20 bucks, which is the best way to do it for you maybe. I've been yeah. pushing really hard on our side to do like what I call like the net earnings. So when it pops up, it just takes, we know the car, we know the miles, we know all of that and just show the net earnings for everything that comes through. But uh, what I keep hearing from the users is please bring DoorDash back. So we're focused on that instead. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> but on my end, sort of uh, net earnings is something really on my mind because I think it would just be great if we literally like, we can do all the math for you. This is exactly what this trip will pay you. Yep. Right? Uh, yeah, that would be, I think that would ask, uh, also open up what people are seeing and they think that they're getting hey i made twelve hundred dollars in four in 25 hours okay well what else what what did you spend in gas what, what are you putting away for your car maintenance what are you putting away for taxes what are you doing for that like how much did you actually make you didn't really make that amount 
Maybe oh, you could I mean, reverse engineer it to be. I have a Toyota Rev no, that, that's exactly how I had put there it's like people can say like this is the price of my insurance this is the price of gas in my area. this is my car how many the miles are on it so that it could literally go okay well you're gonna need this done around here probably yeah. and just well, really kind of show you you need to be making this per hour so i hear yeah. that and utilization yeah. rates and now my the engineers are gonna hate that we have this podcast so i know they're well, gonna but you know what that's but I'm we're disruptors you. we're disruptors you know it's what, what we do that's, but it's real though it's real numbers right it's real yeah. and people are just faking it i mean don't fake it you know if you're making 20 bucks mm. an hour gross in yeah. any city that you're doing right here trust me people you're losing money yeah be honest okay, again, with, and okay, be honest, honest with yourself yeah just be, be honest, honest with yourself it's not because, you're not doing anything wrong it's just what no, it is no absolutely yeah. not but if you're doing that and then, and, you know uh, you know and then if you're out 12 hours every single day and maybe take off a day at that point, I look at them. I'm like, "Why don't you have a job? You can get, yeah. you can actually make more money at your job working full time, forty hours, versus sitting in your car, you know, sixty, seventy hours. You're going to be healthier first off because you're not sitting in your car so long. You're going to make more. You're going to be spending less because every time you're in your car, you know, you got all those different expenses. If you're, you know, slinging coffee or donuts or something, then you know, there's no expenses there. You are just literally there." making that company money and then getting paid for your time. So to me, it's like, you got to also have that, that, you know, foresight to see, is this still worth it for you to, to be in the gig economy or to drive or to do whatever you're doing versus going and getting a job? Yeah. Well, David, I mean, I think if you can create something like, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, like, uh, you know, a, a simple, simple tool that goes, you know, because one of the major expenses is depreciation which nobody understands how to do depreciation okay yeah. I, I get it i get it but then you know 98 percent of the drivers i don't think understand it so you know the other day i was fooling around with it and then i found this website and you basically put your car in your year your model how many hours you're driving how many yeah. miles you have all this and then it literally like spits out a number at the bottom and my eyes were like holy crap really is it that high depreciation is really that high so if you if you think take a full time driver driving six seven thousand miles a month, holy crap, man, that's a lot of miles, and your car is going to be worth nothing at the end of two years. So are you yeah. saving money to buy a new car, right? So if there was a tool that I put my, you know, my my model number, my year, how many miles mm -hmm. I'm driving, you don't forget, right? If you have if you buy a car and it costs you like. 12,000, you know, just about $15,000. Yeah, even old cars, all car, any kind of car. Yeah, right. right? It's like mm -hmm. you call it a five year life, right? Which is pretty generous, right? Yeah. Like if you bought a used car and you're driving it that much, like that's 3K a year, right? Yeah. I mean, that's your 250 bucks a month right there. Yeah. And that's well, most, honestly, most people, I don't think, figured that out. You know, they have the depreciation table of five years, you know, fully, fully depreciate, depreciate an asset, like a lot of businesses do because this is your business, man. You got to figure all these mm -hmm. things out. If you can't just say, oh, gas, I'll just put gas. I'm like, uh, no, sir, it doesn't work like that. And most drivers, that's what they do. You know, in all our comments, I read it. They go, oh, just gas alone is 80 bucks. I'm like, that's just the least of your worries, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you worry about you know here and all this stuff. That's just the one you feel every day. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, I'll, here, I'll take it even once. I'll take it one step further, David. If if you could get this set up, this this would be this would be like a, a no nonsense thing here. Um, if you gave those if you gave that tool to people to be able to know 
you know, their depreciation, you know, how much they need to set aside for taxes, how much they need to set aside for a new car, you know, the different costs associated. But you take it one step further and then you actually take their earnings and you put it into different accounts for them that they, they can access fully, but it automatically does it. So every time you cash out, every time you get paid weekly or whatever, X amount of dollars goes into this account, X amount of dollars goes into this account. And then that way, you don't even have to think about it. It's there. And then let's say you need something, you need your, you need a new car. Hey, now you got your new car right there. You got your fund right there. Hey, I need taxes. Oh, shit, I just spent out all of my money. I made $5,000 last week and I spent it all, uh, but I didn't pay my taxes. So now you have that money there. So I, I mean, who knows if that's good, that's something there, uh, yeah. but- no, I think, I think so. That, I think it starts off with even just net earnings, which is the one that yeah, yeah. mostly there. We haven't gotten it over the hump. It's yeah, just, you know, yeah, it's just, $7 is actually $5.10 or whatever that is. Yeah. No, currently, currently, currently net earnings currently net are earnings. not going to be there for a lot of drivers. Yeah. Continue driving. I don't think it's going to be there. So obviously, well, I could, obviously, you guys, I, I, I just I, want you guys to know I can continue this. I can continue this. Oh, something's echoes. Something's echoes. I hear you. No, oh, I didn't hear an echo. I just heard a. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, obviously we well, can. Obviously we can. Yeah, I'm getting it from me. Yeah, I'm getting it from you. Um. Obviously we can do this for hours, but hours, but. What I do want to say is, is thank you guys for being on. But yeah, before we leave, why don't you guys? Why don't you guys? This drive me nuts. Can't even hear it. Um, why don't you give us a plug for uh, tomorrow's show and what, what, what day of the week it is? I know, I know what it is. I know what it is. But what time it is and where people can find it? Um, because I think it's a good show for especially rideshare drivers and everybody to watch. Because especially if you like any part of this discussion tonight and the utilization rate, I know it goes. I know we get a little out there, but this is important stuff, you guys. This is as important, if not more so, than what you're earning. Because if you have a car that's going to clunk out on you and you're going to have to do it anyway, because you don't have a car now, and you weren't paying attention to that stuff, that's a big deal. So, Chris, Sergio, do you guys want to plug the show? Sure. Well, it looks like Sergio is new to Show Me the Money Club. Show Me the Money Club. Yeah, so Show Me the Money Club. It's a live show with Sergio and myself over on the Rideshare Guy. Uh, we do it on YouTube. It's also live casted to uh, Twitter and to Facebook. So you don't have to be there, but it is under the Rideshare Guy handle. So make sure you're there. It's Tuesdays. Uh, it's pretty much every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. If you're elsewhere in the world, because we have people in Australia, France, and other places uh, that are listening in now watching. So that's pretty cool to see. Um, but you could make sure you get that same time. It's the same time every single week. And on top of that, then we do clips from the show, but we also have it on audio podcast that's available the following day. Uh, so if you don't want to watch the video or just listen or whatever, maybe you're in the car, some drivers are listening while we're in the car or while they're in the car, we're in with them. Uh, they're either listening, educating passengers, whatever it might be. Um, so it's on all podcasting platforms as well. Uh, so yeah. Come check us out, hang out. We have guests on. We've had Steve and David on for a show before. Um, probably come back again soon at some point. Uh, but we have different guests. So we not only cover Uber and Lyft, but we also do talk about food delivery. We've had a couple of people on. Zach drives fast. We've had um, Pedro, Pedro, Pedro. Uh, a couple other people within different aspects. And we're still continuing uh, to bring other people on. 
uh, guests wise who are experts in their fields, whether it's rideshare, food delivery, uh, whether it's something else, uh, whether it's last mile delivery, whatever it might be, some of these different apps that are available, uh, different resources, things like that. Uh, so we just want to say, um, come check us out if you haven't already. Uh, I want to thank these guys for joining us. Check out the show. And show. come back here next week and check out um, next week. We're going to be talking about some DoorDash and we have Pedro DoorDash Santiago. We have Kim's side money plans and we have Dashing Trader. And we're going to talk about the last year of DoorDash and kind of the collapse that's happening there and the aggravations that Dashers are fa facing. So, um, but th Chris, Sergio, thank Chris, you so much. David, as always, thank you. Thank and you guys. Uh, thanks for having I'm a man, I'm away.